Lord, I pray uh, for many of us who are here today, and we are tired and already just so weary. Lord, this season is filled with joy and celebration and, uh, Lord, just lots of opportunities to make beautiful memories, and yet at the same time, uh, it can also be a very busy uh, season where we feel uh, just weighed down uh, through various emotions and uh, stresses in, in our lives. Lord, we thank you that we get to come in here today, not hiding those things, not pretending as if we're not weary and weighed down, but Lord, you invite us to bring those before you. Lord, we know that you know them, Lord, you know the condition of our hearts and everything that we're going through. We know that Jesus is our great high priest who's able to sympathize with everything that we go through because the incarnation is true, that he did come as a baby, that he lived a sinless life. So Lord, I pray that you'd use uh, this topic today and this passage and other scriptures that we'll be looking at uh, to infuse hope into our hearts, a hope that's unwavering, a hope that is lasting because it's connected to you. And so we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen. We are a people hardwired for hope. It's part of the way that we've been created. We flourish and we thrive when we have hope. In fact, an article that was published by the American Heart Association highlights the negative physical consequences of hopelessness, that they uh, discovered that those who experienced extreme feelings of despair had a 20% greater increase in developing a cardiovascular disease over a four-year period. That's not good. Right? There are other studies that connect hopelessness with heart attacks, hopelessness with even death, hopelessness with depression, and with despair. There is a correlation, an intimate correlation, between a hope-filled life and a healthy life. Now, that's not a, a surprise to very many of us uh, here this morning. We've all probably gone through seasons of life where we have felt hopeless. We have felt an element of despair, and we've noticed the impact that has on our whole being holistically. And so this morning, the, the answer is not, hey, just have hope. Okay, let's pray and get on with our day. <laughs> that, that's, not, that's not the message today. Hope is much more complex than that. We are complex creatures. In fact, one of the reasons why this topic of hope can feel so difficult uh, to kind of grab our hands on and, and actually allow it to change us and to fill us is because your hope and my hope tends to leak. As much as we would love to say that our hope is at maximum level all of the time, that we're always grounding our hope firmly in God, it's unwavering in his promises, the reality is is that while on Sunday mornings we might walk out of here with our hope full, throughout the week it leaks. That the hardship of life and the disappointments and the anxieties and the stress and the pressure and sin and all of these things, what they do throughout the week is that they poke holes in our hearts. And so hope tends to leak. No one, I think, intentionally sets out to live a life of hopelessness, but at the same time, no one drifts toward hope. Now, it sounds strange, but that's one of the big takeaways from our passage this morning, that if you have hope in God today, that's because of a supernatural work of God in your life. 
And this is why I think Advent is so very important. Advent is about hope. In fact, 2,000 years ago, the very first Advent, God's people, as even Pastor Tim mentioned this morning, God's people were living in a season of waiting. They were living in a season of even silence that God had not spoken for 400 years. They didn't hear anything from God until the last prophet Malachi, 400 years of nothing. And even though God's people had all of these promises about the coming Messiah, how he's going to make all things new, God's people 2,000 years ago were struggling with doubt. They were struggling with despair. They were looking around at darkness all around them. And yet what's so interesting about the, the Christmas story, about really the first advent, is that even in the midst of that despair and that darkness and that hopelessness, we see God through the birth of Jesus bringing hope that breaks through the darkness. That's so very instructive for us as God's people who are living on this side of the incarnation, that this season of Advent that we practice, that we observe, that we participate in every year is meant to teach us what it looks like to have a hope-filled waiting no matter the circumstances of your life right now. That this four-week period kind of leading up to Christmas is a time in which I would argue where God's people even renew their hope. We mentioned this last week. This is a season in which God's people learn how to live in the in-between. That we learn how to live in between what God has promised and those promises actually being fulfilled. We mentioned last week how that's really the whole of the Christian life. That God promises these things, but much of what he's promised is yet to become realized. And so much of the Christian life is living in this time of waiting, living in the in-between, living in the gap. And this season, it's, it's one that's filled with joy, but this Christmas season makes it really difficult to live with that type of hope for the future because this Christmas season is often associated with busyness and, and the frenzy of the holiday. We have the, the commercialized Christmas music that's trying to convince us that it's the most wonderful time of year. You've got Starbucks who is inviting us to feel the merry, right? And, and there is surely an element of truth to that. I don't want to downplay that. But what often associates our lives is hardship, it's difficulty, it's pain, it's brokenness, it's suffering. And what I love about Advent, what I think is so powerful about Advent, is that it doesn't pretend as if hardship is absent in the Christian life. It embraces it. That what Advent teaches us to do is to take both experiences, the merriness of this season, which we love to highlight, which we love to emphasize, but it also takes the experiences of the disappointment of life and it teaches us to hold it in this dynamic tension with the future promise of what is yet to come. That Advent teaches us to stare sorrow in the face with a type of courage because even in the midst of darkness, God's light breaks through. That even in the bleakest of moments, God gives us a hope that does not 
disappoints. So Advent teaches us, if you will, to have a, a double vision where on one hand, we get to see life through the lens of God's promises, of God's goodness, and yet through the other lens, we are living life in the brokenness of the sin around us and even the brokenness of sin that's in our own lives. It's in this Advent tension that God's people learn to live. It's this both and tension where I would argue hope becomes paramount. Hope is the vehicle by which God's people travel through this Advent season faithfully. And so as we look at this topic of hope today, as we look at this one verse, I want to point out three truths that are really important as we consider the hope of Advent. Here's the first truth from this one verse is that God is the source of hope. God is the source of hope. As we just kind of jump into Romans chapter 15, 13, what's important to know about this one verse is that this is really Paul's closing comment. Even though there are 47 other verses that follow Romans chapter 15, 13, those are really just comments about Paul's travel plans and final greetings. This verse 13 is, is Paul's final plea. It's his prayer. It's his desire for God's people. And it's one that is centered on hope. Paul wants us to know that hope comes from God because God is the origin of hope. He's the author of hope. He's the source of hope. Now, hope is interesting uh, to think about because we actually use hope a lot in our everyday language. We say, I hope it's not too cold tomorrow. I hope that traffic is light tomorrow on my way to work. I hope that the Ohio State Buckeyes get into the final four of the college uh, football playoff, right? We use hope in all of these different ways, and yet I wonder if because of the frequency by which we use hope and, and the way that we use hope is sometimes different than the way that the Bible uses hope, I wonder if at times we have the wrong framework when it comes to understanding a biblical hope. And so because I think that's true, uh, let me just get us on the same page this morning. Let me offer a definition or maybe a description of biblical hope before we get too far. I think that hope is having a life-changing certainty about the future, and it's allowing that certainty about the future to affect how you live right now. It's not wishful thinking. It's not this uncertain optimism but it's a confidence, it's a certainty, and it's full assurance. And that is something that only can come from God. So having biblical hope, having hope in God, means that you recognize he and he alone is trustworthy. It means that you understand that everything and everyone will disappoint you at some point in your life. So to have hope in God is recognizing and trusting in God's plan because you believe it is infinitely wise and good. It means that you stop betting your life and your satisfaction on anything temporal so that you are able to rest in God. That's biblical hope. And that's important because of what Paul says here in verse 13. He says, may the God of hope fill you. Now, what Paul's doing here is he's telling us something about who God is before he tells us what God 
it wants, us, wants to do in our lives. He starts with who God is before God's activity, which is important because without God, there is no hope. And so before he gets into the details of God's going to do this, God's going to fill you with this, God's going to make this abound, he wants us to know who is God. God is the God of hope, and hope comes from God. This is affirmed by all throughout Scripture, but the psalmist in particular, Psalm 62, says, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken." This is important when we think about hope and biblical hope versus other ways that we use hope, that the source of hope is God, which then means that hope is directly connected to God's unchanging character. That's so important because when we talk about how God offers us an unwavering hope, a lasting hope, a firm hope, that's only true because God is unwavering. God is lasting. God is firm. I heard someone else say this way, that the Christian hope isn't based on probabilities. It's based on promises. I think that's so very true because when we place our ultimate hope in something other than God, we start to play the probability game. When we put our hope in financial security or our health or a promotion at work or a relationship or a possession or whatever it is, we, we are wishing that that thing or that person will come through for us, but we don't know for certain. We're, we're banking on probabilities. We're looking out, we're thinking, what gives us the best chance, the best probability for satisfaction? Oh, I'm going to put my hope in that, but we don't know for sure. The Christian hope, the biblical hope, is different. It's not playing the probability game. It's playing the promise of God game. <laughs> that we put our hope in God because of his promises. And so the biblical hope is about trusting that God will fulfill his promises. And we can be certain of that. We can have confidence of that and confidence in the future because we trust in a God who cannot lie. That we believe that God's promises will happen, that God will do what he says he will do because of his character. And that includes the promises that God has over your life, that we believe those promises will happen, that Jesus will return and make all things new, that your sins are forgiven as you stand before a holy God, that God will never leave you. God will never forsake you. God really does work together all things for your good. That these things happen and these things will happen because our hope is not grounded in probabilities. It is grounded in the promises of God who never lies. And so Paul is praying, may this God, the God of hope, do something in your life. May he fill you, the source of hope, the author of hope, the origin of hope. May he do something in your life. May he fill you. This word fill is such an interesting word. It actually means to have something well up within to the point where it overflows. So, so you're filling something up to the brim and it starts to pour over. That's Paul's prayer here for you, for you to be filled to the brim with what? With all joy 
and peace. So beautiful. All joy and peace. Now we're going to be hitting joy and peace over the next two weeks, so I won't spend too much time on these two topics. But when we consider joy for a moment, biblical joy, as the Bible talks about joy, is having an inner satisfaction of the heart an inner satisfaction of the heart. This isn't talking about a superficial cheerfulness. It's not talking about this, uh, this bubbly personality. It's deeper than that. It's having this inner satisfaction that then spills over into your life. And why can we have that? Well, it's because the source of our joy is connected to God, who again is unchanging. Our source of joy is not found in our circumstances, which are always changing, It's not uh, grounded in our emotions, which are always uh, changing, but it's grounded in God. And we need to pray about this because so often we put our joy in other things. But notice Paul couples joy with peace. Not only are we to have joy, this inward satisfaction, but we are to have peace, which is this inward settledness of the heart. It's this rest, this contentment, this ease of the soul, which comes from the Spirit of God. How many of us need peace this morning? That in the busyness of this season, in the stress of this season, you can have a peace that surpasses all understanding that's able to guard your heart and your mind according to the Lord Jesus. A peace that's not absent of conflict. It's a peace that's not absent of difficulty, but it's a peace that's present because of the presence of God. And we need both. Now, the question is, how do these work together? Why does he couple joy with peace? Well, let's turn to Charles Spurgeon. Spurgeon uh, describes it this way, that peace is joy resting and joy is peace dancing. Joy cries Hosanna before the well-beloved, but peace leans her head on his bosom. We work with joy and we rest with peace. That's so good. Leon Morris in the commentary on Romans and in this verse, he describes it this way, that joy relates to the delight of anticipation in seeing one's hopes fulfilled. Peace results from the assurance that God will fulfill those hopes. I love that. It's amazing. Paul's praying, God, would you inundate with your Uh, to your people, this idea of joy and peace. But notice here, what does he say? As they do what? As they believe. So you receive joy and peace as you believe in God, as you believe in the gospel, as you believe in the word of God. Faith is the vehicle by which God then uses to deliver joy and peace to his people. And all this is possible because the source of hope is God. So God is the source of hope. Secondly, though, God is the supplier of hope. God is the supplier of hope. I want to highlight just this very important purpose clause right in the middle of verse 13, the so that. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So why does God fill us with joy? Why does God fill us with peace? It's so that the Holy Spirit can then deliver hope into our hearts. That God through the Holy Spirit is the supplier of hope. Now that's helpful for us because if you have hope in God today, it's not because of your own ability. 
It's not because of your own ingenuity or because of your own wisdom. It's because of the supernatural work of God in your life. If your hope, your ultimate hope is not placed in relationships or your money or what you look like or possessions, it's placed in God, that's because God has supplied that hope to you, which is amazing. But notice the flow here in this verse. Notice it's not that God fills us with hope that then results in joy and peace. It's actually the other way around. It's God fills us with all joy and peace so that or for the purpose of the Holy Spirit giving us abounding hope. That's really interesting. This tells us that hope is something that can grow. It's something that can abound. Hope is not static. Hope is not stationary. Hope is something that's either being cultivated or it's something that is leaking. And the way that it abounds, the way that it grows, the way that it's cultivated is actually by feeding off its own fruit, the joy and peace from God. Now, how does that work? Well, I think when you notice that God is really at work in your life, like tangibly at work, not you're at Costco and there's no parking spot and you're praying and magically a parking spot opens up in the front row and oh, that's such a God thing. I'm talking about the living God is tangibly at work in your life to the point where you say, wow, God is doing this, God is doing that. When that happens, the gaze of our hearts looks up at God, away from ourselves, away from our emotions, away from our circumstances, and it's placed on the power and the majesty and the greatness of God. What that does is that God's activity starts to scream at us, God is alive, God is present, God is at work. And what's the result of that? Your heart is filled with hope. It's a reminder, God is doing something in your life. And Paul's just listing two things here. He's saying the activity of God in your life of giving you joy and peace, fruit of the Holy Spirit, what that does is it stirs up your hope because it reminds you God is at work in your life. So the process of God giving us hope, it's not like he magically zaps us and we're all of a sudden filled with hope. That's not how that works. It's God works and we're filled with hope. God's clearly doing something, filling us with hope and peace, and our hope abounds. And there's not one of us in this room that doesn't need hope. Not one of us. You and I are unavoidably and irreducibly hope-shaped, hope-based creatures. How we live today is shaped by what we believe about the future. And biblical hope speaks into that future, shapes that future. You and I need hope. And I love Paul, <laughs> verse 13, he's praying for this because he understands that faithfulness in the Christian life is not automatic. Faithfulness in the Christian life is not a guarantee. Paul knows firsthand that the hardship in life can be so soul-crushing and so discouraging. He's praying, God, we need hope. God, we need you to supernaturally intervene and give us hope so we can carry on. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Some of you, because I know a lot of your stories, some of you 
have become so discouraged and so disappointed, you've wondered, how can I possibly go on? Some of you have become so weary because of broken relationships, you've wondered, how can I go on? Some of you have become so discouraged about what's happening out there in the world or so weighed down by the pressure and the stress of life. You wonder, how can I get out of bed in the morning and go through another day? And if you're in that season right now, then I'm here to declare to you, pay attention to the word of God. Pay attention to what this verse is declaring over your life today, what this verse is calling you to. This verse is declaring, do not give up. Do not throw in the towel. This verse is saying, this is how you can carry on. This is how you can continue. This is how you can get out of bed in the morning, that the God of all hope will fill you with all joy and peace so that as you believe through the power of the Holy Spirit, he may give you abounding hope. That's how you can carry on, that God will fill you with these things. But here's the key. It's as you believe, as you believe. And so do you believe that God will do these things in your life right now? Do you believe that the God of hope is greater than your circumstances? That the God of hope can, can fill you with a type of hope that eclipses the darkest of circumstances in your life? That's the key. That no matter how overwhelming life can be at times, God offers a hope that will never disappoint. That even in the midst of tragedy and trial and hardship and unanswered questions, that God through the Holy Spirit takes this type of hope and rubs it deep inside your heart. The hope needed to continue on is something that the Holy Spirit supplies. This is not something that comes naturally, but it is something from the hand of God. So God is the source of hope. God is the supplier of hope. Here's the third truth I want us to see about hope today is that God is the object of hope. All three of these are just intimately linked. If God is the true source of hope, only he can give it. And if he gives it, he must be the object of our hope. We're told uh, elsewhere in the scriptures that God must be the object of our hope, Colossians 1, verse 27 tells us to them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this, majesty, of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love that verse. It's so clear. Who's the hope of glory? It's Jesus. That Jesus must be the object of our hope. And this is a great moment for me just to pause and just to ask you, where is your hope right now? Where is your hope? I'm not asking you today if you're a Christian. I'm not asking you if you believe in God. I'm asking you, where are you directing your hope? Where is your hope resting? And I just want to warn us this morning of the danger of misplaced hope. I want to warn us of directing our hope to something that will fail you. 
of putting the weight of our deepest hopes and longings on anything or anyone other than God will ultimately crush that object and it will lead you to disappointment and it will fail you. Now we need probably need to be reminded today that your marriage is not designed to carry the weight of your hope, that your kids are not designed to carry the weight of your hope. Your job, no matter how successful you are, cannot carry the weight of your hope. Your physique, your body image, your possessions, your wonderful house, your amazing car, your wardrobe, that vacation you're looking forward to cannot hold the weight of your hope. Nothing can hold the weight of your hope on this side of heaven. All vessels leak, that there's only one who can hold the weight of your hope. There's only one, and he is called the hope of glory. There's only one that can hold the weight of your hope, and he is one who always keeps his promises, that there's one who is always faithful. There's one who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's one, only one, who went to ultimate length to save you and redeem you and forgive you and to make you new that hope has come, hope has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the image of the invisible God and through him and by him and for him all things are created. That he is before all things and in him all things hold together, including your hope, including your hope. And because of who he is, he is inviting you today to place your hope in him. That hope is available. And maybe for some of us today, you need to put your hope in Jesus for the very first time. Your hope has been in a million other places, but not in Jesus. Maybe others of us, you need to renew your hope in Jesus. Your hope's been leaking. That your hope has been misplaced. And you need to come back and put your hope in Jesus. That opportunity is available to you right now, today. I love how Romans 5 talks about our hope, specifically verse 5. But let me read these verses for context. It says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That through him we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame or other translations, hope does not disappoint because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I love that. Hope does not disappoint. No matter the trials, no matter the suffering, no matter the need for endurance, if your hope is in God, you are unshakable. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Man, some of you, based on what you've gone through in life, shouldn't even be here right now. Some of you, based on what you've experienced in life, should never take a step inside church, and yet you're here right now this morning. Some of you should be stuck in bed this morning, depressed, 
and yet you're not. You're here this morning. Some of you should be so downcast with trials, and yet you're here this morning. Some of you should be so riddled with fear and anxiety, and yet you're not. You're filled with hope. You're filled with peace. You're filled with joy. Why? Why are some of you not stuck in despair, not filled with shame, not consumed with hopelessness? It's because the God of hope has done something in your life. It's because the object of your hope is God who does not disappoint. That your hope's not in circumstances. It's not in having the least amount of hardship. It's not in having the merriness of these emotions. It's in God who does not disappoint. And I love this never-ending cycle of hope. If you can follow the logic of this verse, the God of hope fills you with joy and peace so that you abound in hope. And as hope abounds and grows on its own fruit, joy, and peace, you get more hope. It's the never-ending cycle. It's a cycle that you and I need to participate in as we think about cultivating the hope of Advent. Well, before I close, I want to provide just a couple of action steps, just a couple of applications in light of these three powerful truths about hope, things that I'm praying for you about over the next couple of weeks in particular. Don't just pray for my church. Hey, help my church to love Jesus more. No, these are specific items I'm asking God to do in your life over the next couple of weeks. Here's the first thing, the the first application. I want to challenge you to do the hard work of identifying areas of misplaced hope in your life. And let me clarify that there are different kinds of hopes. There's the lowercase h hope, and then there's the capital H hope. The capital H, uppercase H hope, is the ultimate hope, which is reserved for Jesus and Jesus alone. But then there are these minor hopes, these little hopes, these other kinds of hopes that's okay to have in other things, as long as it's in appropriate measure. So for example, you know, for Christmas, I'm getting Lindsay a gift, my kids a gift. I'm hoping, minor hope, that they enjoy those gifts. When I go to a restaurant, I order food, I'm hoping that the food tastes good, right? So how do you know the difference? How do you know where you've misplaced your hope? Well, when you expect something other than God, to give you something that only God can give you, that's misplaced hope, okay? When you look to something other than God to give you what only God can provide for you, that's misplaced hope. When you look to something to give you worth, identity, purpose, ultimate satisfaction, ultimate comfort, that's misplaced hope. So for example, Christmas morning, Lindsay opens up this present and she doesn't give the type of reaction that I'm hoping for. And I'm crushed. I'm in despair. I can't preach that morning because I'm so rocked by her lack of response. That's misplaced hope, right? And that's kind of a silly reaction because I'm a great gift giver. (laughs) Now the bar is set way up here. Oh boy, I got myself into trouble. But we can do this with all kinds of other things that are temporal, And they sneak up on us. And we try to explain them away. You know, when we experience that type of despair, we think, oh, I'm not not that disappointed. You know, you kind of move on to other things. But if you do the hard work of identifying those misplaced hopes, that will set you up to putting your hope 
in Jesus. Here's the second thing, though. I'm praying that we nurture our hope over the Christmas season. As we saw in this verse, hope is something that can abound, it can grow, which means we need to participate in the cultivation process of our hope. You can almost think about hope as a seed, that hope can be nurtured, hope can be cultivated. Well, one of the primary ways that our hope can be nurtured is actually through the Word of God. That Romans 15.4, just a few verses before a passage, Paul says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of what? Of the scriptures, we might have hope. It's through the word of God our hope actually grows. So let me challenge you over the next couple of weeks to increase the regularity of your time in the word. Over the next three weeks, you and I will become inundated with the commercialization of Christmas. It's unavoidable. You will be overly busy. You will be stressed out. Most of us will be stressed out with finding the right present. <laughs> you will be busy trying to be a good host of friends and family decorating your house. All of those things, those are not bad in and of themselves. But listen to me, what you and I need more than anything is not less time in the word, but more. More. And so if you're someone that does not spend regular time in God's word, let me just challenge you. Take two or three times a week, five minutes, and dive into the scriptures, okay? Just start small and simple. If you're someone that spends three or four times a week in the word of God, increase it to five. Increase it to five. If you're someone who spends time every day in God's word, seven days a week, praise God for that, do it twice a day, morning and evening. It, not to be legalistic, not to you know, cross it off your to-do list, I'm a good Christian, but to nurture and grow your heart in your hope in God. Right? We need time in the word to nurture our hope. Here's the third thing, though. Third thing is to seize the season by directing our hope to Jesus. Okay, don't just identify misplaced hopes. Don't just nurture our hope, but seize the season by telling your hope where to go and make it the destination of Jesus. Now, you might think, oh, that's the easiest application I've ever heard during the Christmas season. You want us to think about Jesus? You want us to put our hope in Jesus over Christmas? Done, easy. No, don't just assume it. Don't just think that that will automatically happen because how easy is it to get caught up in the gifts and the lights and the traditions and the parties and the merriness of this season and all of those things are completely disconnected from the person and work of Jesus? How easy is it to reduce Jesus to just this icon, this static icon of the baby in the manger, and that's it? It's so easy to do, to just think about Jesus as that baby in the manger, the nativity scene, and not to understand what that baby came to do, that that baby is the son of God. And 2,000 years ago, he lived a sinless, perfect life. And he got up on a cross and he died in the place of sinners in order to save us. Put your hope in a savior and not in the season. First Timothy 4.10 says, for to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Put your hope in Jesus. 
Like as I close this morning, we have one more song uh, to sing, but man, I just wonder, where is your hope today? Where is your hope today? There's some of us who are here today and your hope is at maximum level. It's firmly grounded in God. It's, it's not being misplaced, it's in Jesus. Look, praise God for that. Praise God, continue to nurture it. But there are others of us who are here today and your hope is leaking and it has been leaking for some time. And maybe your hope is just barely alive today because of the trials and the hardships that you have been going through. And maybe there are some who are here today and your hope is not in Jesus at all. It's in a million other things. As I close today, let me remind you, hope, living hope is available. It is available. Jesus came 2,000 years ago, not just to create some type of holiday. He came to give us everlasting hope in him. So no matter where you are today, if you need to put your hope in Jesus for the first time, or if you need to renew your hope, as I close, I want to ask the question, who needs hope today? Who either needs to put their hope in Jesus or who needs to renew their hope right now? With our heads bowed, our eyes closed, just before I pray, I just want to ask that question. Are you here today and you need to put your hope in Jesus for the first time or you need to renew your hope in him? If that is you today, would you just raise your hand just right where you are I know we don't do this very often, but this is a physical response to reflect an inward reality. It can be so helpful. Just raise your, I just wanna pray for you this morning. If you need your hope renewed, or if you need your hope to be placed in Jesus, just raise your hand just right where you are. Praise God, yeah. Let me pray for you right now. Oh God, we just praise you and we thank you that you are the source of all hope that true, everlasting, unwavering hope is not found in this world. It's found in Jesus. God, I pray that you would help us as we struggle with misplacing our hope so frequently, that you would help us to place our hope in you. God, I pray right now for the people who have their hands raised that you would renew their hope in Jesus that you would fill it to the brim, that you would cause it to abound and grow and to be nurtured, especially during this season, no matter what they are walking through. And those who are putting their hope in you, Jesus, for the first time, would you give them faith to believe? Would you save them and regenerate their hearts? God, we thank you that you've made hope available. Help us, Lord, to put it in you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.